tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Mario Abore. Since 2014, Mario, with his company Square Paws, has been creating stunning and unique creations and habitats for cats and people to enjoy. His work spans in range from making single cat tower items to outfitting cat cafes and animal shelters, including three cafes in Florida, work at the North Shore Animal League America, and the Patricia H. Ledoux Foundation, both in New York. So Mario, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Pleasure to be here. So before we get into the whole conversation around being an architect in this cat space that we are, you know, how'd you get to be so passionate about cats? Uh, It started with my first cat and my first girlfriend, where we were kind of cohabitating and we decided we were in a small apartment. Let's get a cat, not a dog. Didn't really have a lot of background with cats. I was always more of a dog person. But that that one cat really kind of like they say, one cat leads to another. And, uh, you know, when she was in her older years, I ended up taking in a stray cat. And even though they didn't get along, it's sort of like, okay, my my previous cat got old enough where she passed away, unfortunately. And then it was like, "Mm, what do I do with my black cat? Got to get her a playmate. Got another cat. Then a friend said, well, there's a couple moving out of out of state. They need to surrender their cat. Beautiful Himalayan who was declawed, by the way not by me would never do that but i learned how bad declawing is but i took her in and then just recently like a year and a half ago uh was involved in doing tnr uh with my aunt locally here and we trapped one of three kittens and you know typical foster fail like oh i can't get rid of her so i now have four cats (laughs) well congratulations on the foster failure because we've all been there we have all been there. It's okay. You can forgive yourself now. We're, we're, well, her you know. sibling, we actually trapped her sibling, who was another litter a couple months after that. And that was, I didn't foster him, but I kind of cared for him, like co-fostered him in someone else's home. And it was one of those things like, oh God, I don't know that I can let this guy go. He's too cute. But I patted myself on the back because it was, you know, we we did let him get adopted and have have his own happy life. So Anyway, good, good. Well, Mario, we were just talking. We, we've had you on the show before. It was a couple of years ago. And it's so it's been a while. I think when we had you on the show last time, you had done a uh, Billy Joel themed interior design project for the, the North Shore Animal League. But now you have a new project that you have worked on and you've worked on projects in between. So before we jump into the project analysis, I want to hear what what is life like for an architect during COVID? Well, that's been sort of an interesting thing. It's It's been tricky, you know, because I started a project as an architect uh, in South Florida, a commercial project, uh, which was a showroom project. And we started before the shutdown and then the construction continued. And um, it was a skeletal crew of construction guys, but they got it done. But, you know, it, it's been it's been tough because... Uh, material costs across the board have gone up. You know, you have the whole supply chain 
issues affects construction, you know, very directly. Um, and then kind of navigating how, how to deal with, with those costs for clients. When they start out with a budget, um, if they have one, it's always like, okay, well, now we have to kind of readjust budget, readjust schedule. I have a project under construction right now in Atlanta. And, you know, you sort of have to change your mindset about, okay, well, the project should be a 16, 18 week construction period. Not exactly, you know, or, you know, you would typically expect, okay, we're going to get these supplies like this access panel is readily available. It no longer is readily available. We have to find an alternate. We have to find something different size or different manufacturer, you know, so, so it takes that sort of like jockeying around and being nimble to kind of handle that. So you said you had worked on a couple of uh, cat cafes or three cafes in Florida. And then you also have this project in Long Island. And I want to make sure I spend enough time to share the information about the project. I know it's kind of hard in a podcast because there's we'll, we'll have links to pictures in the show notes. So I think this is one show where I'm really going to recommend people go to the show notes so that we make sure we have links of pictures to this project so people can check it out. So it's worth the time going to your computer and, and checking it out. But tell me about the Ledoux Cat Sanctuary on Long Island. The Ledoux Cat Sanctuary, they were, they were, um, they're a board, they're a privately endowed organization, and they had seen what we did for the Billy Joel Rooms North Shore Animal League. I don't know that they saw them in person, um, but Dr. Susan Wittred is the executive director and the veterinarian there at Ledoux. And she knew Dr. Jenny Conrad at the Paw Project, who uh, you know has been in, heavily involved in getting states to put legislation together to ban declawing. And New York State actually passed a law. And Dr. Wittred was one of, she's on the Paw Project sort of like committee and group that was influential in getting that passed in New York. They had, they had a spokes cat at Ledoux for the banning of declawing. And they would educate people on why this is bad. So Susan had seen what we did at North Shore Animal League and contacted Jenny Conrad at the Paw Project, who's a good friend of ours, and um, said, do you know these Square Paws people? And Jenny's like, when they were out in Oregon, they stayed in our house. Like, yeah, we know them. So Jenny called me and said, you're going to get a call from Dr. Susan, Susan Wittred. And, you know, then we discussed, you know, what they wanted to do. They wanted to kind of renovate some of the free roaming cat rooms in the house. And that's how that started. So so it started as just a, a short conversation, which built into a pretty significant project based on those pictures. I mean, it's pretty amazing what you did. There were various Thank themes. You. To the rooms and i mean if i'm there's a refrigerator that's got different like there's like a kitchen theme which i'm i'm thinking oh my gosh we're teaching all these cats to go on the counters and it's okay and that all that stuff and there's like little places in refrigerators right. to go into and everything so it's like this gigantic cat real life playroom maybe you can describe it even better than i can well so when i got involved uh and asked Susan to give me some history on Patricia Ledoux because they had a, a room named Pat's Pat's Cats and I said well who was Pat Ledoux and she sent me these videos like from the 70s of Pat being interviewed by Tom Snyder which you know it's way back the way back machine there and she inherited uh the standard oil you know fortune basically and she was a cat person but she was an artist and not really kind of like you know a, a high society person but she caught a lot of flack because she bought this house to basically have caretakers live upstairs and have cats downstairs. 
And, you know, it really was not like a lavish home. It was really sort of a shack of a house, an old house from the 1800s. And she bought it and she caught a lot of flack from New York City tabloids, like the Daily News and the Post, that made it out like she was this, you know, multi-million dollar heiress. She bought this house just for her two cats. But in reality, it was sort of a ramshackle house. And it had undergone a number of renovations before I got involved. So Susan Wittred had been involved in like two of the major renovations. And then they built a clinic at the back of the, of, of the property. And so when she approached me, she said, you know, we want to kind of update things and thought maybe you'd, you'd have some ideas. And I asked her for this information and watched these videos of Pat Ledoux. And I said, wouldn't it be great if we sort of like took a page from like Sagamore Hill, which is like Teddy Roosevelt's, you know, boyhood home on in Oyster Bay, that same town, um, where it's sort of like a museum, right? Like you go to those houses, like Her Hemingway's house in Key West, and it's like everything is sort of where it was, you know, when he died or, or whatever. And I said, why don't we kind of like freeze the house in time and turn it back into a house? Because it had a very clinical look to it. You know, like it had like vinyl wainscoting on the walls and it was sort of blue and green on the walls, like their, their logo colors. And I said, it'd be great to do sort of a mid-century modern take on it, like send it back to like, you know, the mid or early 70s and have like, you know, relics of things from the 60s and the 50s. And you know, turn the kitchen room back into a kitchen instead of like a room with a sink, like a utilitarian sink, turn the, the living room back to a living room and make it seem like, you know, let's take a sort of um, tongue in cheek approach about these, these newspaper articles, like that the cats basically have the run of the house. Let's sort of make it like the cats own the house, you know, that she gifted the house to these, these cats and like the cats, uh, the, the male cat is like an Oyster Bay fisherman from the 70s, and they they have the, you know, the entire house. And so we took the upstairs, like, ground floor rooms, made a living room and a kitchen, and downstairs they had two rooms, which one we sort of made into, like, a recreation room with a 1960s-style, like, console TV. And we took some some game things and got, like, a, a, a ripple mat, you know, ripple rug thing. Uh, just to make it sort of like a fun kind of lounge room. And then for Pat's room, the Pat's cat's room, we created like a replica of the front of the house, which has this sort of iconic, you know, mansard roof and, and colonnade porch. And we did sort of a replica in miniature form for the cats. And we did a, um, a graphic. We had a, a graphic designer who was a friend of Pat's, you know, from back in the day. And he designed, he's from Sweden. He designed this beautiful, um, graphic uh, mural on the wall that basically took those news clippings and then also included like a bio of Pat. So the room is sort of, even though it's small, is sort of like a, a big memorial to Pat Ledoux because she was really kind of ahead of her time. So, you know, one question that comes to mind when I'm thinking about um, shelter space and potentially building a new adoption center or shelter or clinic or whatever you're thinking about and, and designing it in a way that's more than just a clinical space, you know, that you have to spray down with, with all your cleaners and all that stuff. You have to be aware of the different types of materials you use for those sanitary reasons, but it, you know, that's bland and it's boring and you've made a space very exciting, but I assume it's also safe for cleaning. It's got some longevity to it. So what are the, what are the materials that you kind of must always use in a space when you're dealing with cats? 
Yeah. So we we did do our best to make it as sustainable as possible. So for for us, we used like a lot of polyurethane. I mean, they're not really sort of healthy things to sort of work with, but you know, we wear masks and gloves and everything. But a polyurethane coating or polyurethane-based paint, oil-based paints, things that really kind of bond more. And I, I know a lot of shelters like Ledoux use this, uh, I think it's Excel. It's like an accelerated, you know, pH or hydrogen peroxide or something like that. It's it's a very heavy duty, even though it's diluted, it really can tear away at, at any kind of painted finish. So it is important to have things be kind of up to par with that and use those kinds of materials. We used also a lot of like our contractor on the project, he used oak plywood, he used some live slab things like really very heavy duty, dense um, live wood, like actual wood pieces. And, and of course we always factor in scratch posts, scratching areas, things that can be replaced or restrung with new sisal rope. Um, we had a lot of areas like that in Ladue and, and I think that's really key. So when people are planning, they really should be considering using long-term durable materials. Um, even if it's, if it's things like plastic laminate, like we did use some laminate for parts of the things that we did at Ladue and that's going to hold up very well. There are a lot of great wall paint finishes now that are much more durable and washable than previous years. You know, in the floor surface, you want something that if you can get like a rolled uh, linoleum or vinyl, something that you can wash pretty easily. And if it's got kind of like not a, not too harsh a finish, like we sort of lived with with some of the floor finishes that they had because we're sort of outside of the budget to change for Ledoux. We changed it in the kitchen, but what we used in the kitchen was a much smoother surface um, so that could be easily mopped, you know, with like a string mop uh, without getting caught because you know, as you know, it's like you've got to clean up pee and vomit and all the kind of bodily cat functions, right? So, especially in shelters. When you embark on a project like this, what do you anticipate the life lifespan to be? I mean, are we looking at they're going to get 20 years out of this, 10 years? Is that even reasonable to ask? I think 10 to 20 years is a good lifespan. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, 20, 20 is sort of pushing it. Like, even if you're doing you know, most people like when they re-roof their houses, right? It's like, oh, well, it's a 20-year roof. Yeah, but at 15 years, you find like someone comes along and you've got a leak and they're like, yeah, you know, it's only really good for 15 years. I mean, you know, I, I hope our stuff is good for, for at least 10 to 15 years. You know, most likely something will change within that time anyway. But yeah, that's that's really kind of the, a good, you know, good goal to shoot for. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. It's 87 degrees outside, which means it could be more than 110 degrees inside your car. However, in most states, it's illegal to rescue animals or children from hot cars. But with only minutes to spare, many choose to rescue animals from cars at their own risk. And many owners choose gratitude. 
Never leave pets or children unattended in a car because a few minutes is never a few minutes and minutes may be all they have. This PSA is brought to you by Capain and Animals for Reform and Equity. Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay-Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind. Whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting, Dubert is the only system that integrates two-way text messaging, automatic follow-ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com CCM and get signed up today. So if I'm part of an organization that say is has been in rented space or in you know a space that's gotten kind of old, 20 years old, I mean, there are a lot of municipal facilities around the country dealing with, with cats and dogs that you know are definitely run down, built in the even, you know, in the, the 90s or the 80s and just sort of been jury-rigged and limping along and embarking on a really new design because we now are becoming community sheltering organizations, you know, above and beyond just the cages. We're becoming community centers. We're trying to have our kitten kindergarten classes and our other things going on. If we're thinking as an organization, embarking on some sort of a structural facility, you know, what sort of thoughts, recommendations, and ideas would you have for them, you know, thinking about moving forward? Is this a good time to even consider it? Or should we just wait and see what happens or and just sort of suffer along with COVID or don't let COVID yeah. hold us back or whatever, you know? I think now is actually a good time to plan. And and it's sometimes hard to do that. You know, me especially, I, I sort of get caught up in the emotion of it of it all, you know, like you see kind of negative news and negative things happening in the world. And sometimes it's hard to sort of focus on your little piece of the puzzle, right? And what you do, but it's so important. I mean, people, you know, that, that do animal rescue and animal welfare, like every little bit helps. So, I mean, I would say to people to start planning now, and if they're planning, you know, to renovate something where they are, to really be considering about, you know, sustainable materials as much as possible, things that have longevity, and obviously, what if you're working with a budget, you know, to try to make enough of a sort of enriched environment for cats, especially, I mean, you know, shelters, you know, dogs don't need as much sort of space to climb and roam and all that. But I think it's always good to kind of have in mind, like if you're planning, like, okay, you know, we want to have a sort of permanent aspect of things and then a disposable aspect of things, because I think what happens a lot is people think they're doing good. It's like, okay, I have this old cat tree. I'm going to give it to the shelter. I'm going to give it to this one. And, and it's already like sort of half worn and it's half falling down. And I think that's fine. Like, you know, I don't want to deter people from contributing in whatever way they can, but it's also good to just say, okay, well, that's, that's the permanently disposable aspect of our facility. And then we want to have, you know, another aspect, which is more permanent and, more engaging, whether it's just engaging for the cats or also engaging for the people. I mean, what we do with Square Paws and the things that we've designed, the cat cafes and 
you know, these, these shelter projects, our intention is to make it fun and kind of amusing for people to go and have a sort of like experience. Because I think, you know, cats, cats are like semi-psychic animals in that way, right? Like they pick up on your energy, right? So like when you are happy and joyful and sort of engaged in something, you know, like when you're playing with a wand toy or something like that, like you can't help but play, right? I mean, everyone's attracted to sort of like playing on something, right? So when you're in a playful mood, cats are just like, they love to play. So if you're doing something when they're, they're feeling like engaged with that fun, I think it's a better experience for people to kind of bond with a cat, especially, and consider them for adoption, right? And, you know, you mentioned your work with the cat cafes. How is that different than with the shelters or the sanctuaries? I think it's it's similar but different. I think it's like it's sort of a personal thing. It's almost like it's all kind of a, a, a relationship or like, you know, in a similar way, like a dating experience. Like not everyone's the same. They have different personalities and stuff. So I think it's it kind of depends on the person and what their goals are and kind of finding. Like for me as an architect, I'm always listening. Like I, you know, I I do a lot of talking, but generally I try to listen and hear what it is that people need to get done or, or achieve or accomplish or project in their project. And like cat cafes are um, like Salida at the, the cat cafe South beach. She referred to hers. That was the first one we did in Miami beach. And she referred to it as cat cafes are like shelter 2.0, right? Like it's the outreach now in the sort of retail environment of shelters. And, you know, if you can make it somehow themed or fun, you know, how to kind of like make yourself stand out because they really, cat cafes are cropping up, continue to crop up everywhere, pretty much. I mean, look right, I mean, I know this is not gonna air for a while, but Ukraine, a lot of people have watched the cat cafe in Lviv and, you know, with great earnest and wanting to make sure they're all all okay there. But, you know, cat cafes are are becoming ubiquitous and I think that's such a great thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with you. I think that there are a lot of them, pretty much every every city I go to, I'll find a cat cafe there almost. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's really nice, you know, in the United States as well as abroad. So it is, it's a lot of fun. It's really, really cool. Mario, I was just interested, what other projects do you have going on, you know, up ahead? Anything you want to share with us for what, what's, what's in your world right now? Yeah, well, we're doing something, you know, we uh, have a friend in, in Peter Cohen, who, uh, I don't know if you you know, Peter, he's out in, uh, I think Goleta is the actual city in California near Santa Barbara. He has uh, the Zen by Cat organization. He's got like a nonprofit thing to sort of research and eradicate uh, FIP. And we made a couple of things for him before. And he's just during COVID kind of took that time to do this project where he's created an extension to his house, which is house, his house is incredible. I mean, it's completely catified. When I say completely catified, I mean, there's not a square inch that doesn't have a cat space for it. So he built this sort of basement space that he refers to as the cat cave. And um, he asked us to build a cat tree for the stairwell, which is like a 20 foot high space that leads down to the cat cave. And so we're right now in the process of building what I think, I think may be the Guinness Book world record of the tallest cat tree. <laughs> wow. It's about 13 feet tall. Wow. It's, That's exciting. It's crazy. 
I mean, people don't get it. Like when they, they, they see it in photos, I take pictures in our shop. They're not quite getting it, but I've had friends come to the shop and they're like, Oh my God. Like just, you know, it's like, yeah, we're crazy. We're crazy. <laughs> so when you're talking about this, so we've been talking primarily about architecture, big projects, but now you're talking furniture. So do you also design furniture too? That's pretty much where this started. I don't do like, I don't design people furniture. I mean, there's just, there's so much out there. You know, it's almost like when I first started this, people were like, oh, you should do stuff for dogs. And I was like, well, dogs don't really need anything. You just need like a bed that they can wash and, and, and not for nothing. I mean, there's, there are zillions of products for dogs out there. Like what could I possibly do that's different? So that's really kind of what Square Paws was just like, okay, we're going to do focus on cats because we can really be fun and like out of the box with our designs. So So if you, as you design your cat trees and furniture for cats, and as we might go shopping and looking for furniture, you know, what are the key components that we need to be aware of in finding a good piece of cat furniture? I think sustainability is great. You know, if if you're looking at something that has a quality wood finish, things that can be washed and cleaned, or if you can, you know, at least utilize things that you can take out and wash. You know, like even for our stuff, I, I do tell people sometimes like use a blanket, you know, if it's if the cat likes to be in sort of a hideaway spot that you can wash or or to clean it frequently. Right. Like make sure it's 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 quality. I think most people have the mentality like I'll buy cheap because I'm going to throw it away and the cat's going to ruin it. And that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that because I know that our chief competitor in business is cats because they ruin stuff. Right. But we sort of, we kind of like that aspect of it. Like, again, we like things where that we make stuff where it's scratch post or a scratching element of it that can be rewound with sisal, or, you know, we can make a replacement pad or something for it. But I would say, look for that kind of thing, but also something that you feel is going to speak to you, like a piece of furniture that you like for the cat, you know, like that you won't mind having in your home. And then you're, you're willing to sort of like, engage with that furniture in a sense of like, go over to it when the cat's there, play with the cat there, let them jump on it, right? Like get that that wand toy at the cat furniture. Because I mean, most people I think don't consider that furniture is like a living element in that way. And I think that's, that's key is like, make sure you have something that you're going to engage the cat with the furniture as a sort of like medium, you know, as a go between. You had mentioned earlier that you had gone out and done some trap new to return. And so you are familiar with TNR. Up here in New England, where I am, a lot of our community cats have shelters. And there are some that are very elegant and some that are more just like a Rubbermaid container with a hole in them and, and having, you know, some, um, some straw. Some in there. straw, yeah. 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 You as the architect, if you were going to design a shelter, is there anything special you would make sure that we would have in our shelters? Durable, something that's durable and that can keep away other sorts of animals. Like I know here with this feral colony that I've helped feed, it's like there are a lot of vultures around all the time because they're looking for the cat food, you know, like if you're putting stuff out um, for, for feeding the cats you know, to make something like that has a a kind of roof to it or some sort of wire netting that, you know, a larger bird can't get in and kind of steal the food that you're leaving for the cat. 
And if you're in a colder climate, obviously something that has more enclosure to it where you can keep straw in it and, or, you know, foam insulation or something. And it's always good to recycle, you know, so like if you've got materials that you can recycle, like packaging, you know, if it's foam packaging that you're getting in a computer box or laptop box or something like that, that will be okay within a sort of, like you said, a Rubbermaid container, you know, to be creative and just be sort of mindful and thinking about, okay, you know, what else, what's around when I'm not around, like feeding the cats, right? Or if you're trying to trap, I mean, traps are sort of like, that's that they've already got that down pat, right? I mean, <laughs> some traps are better than others I found, but yeah, you know. Yep. And, and if people do have questions about trapping, we have our trapper certification workshop that we have once a month. And we also do quarterly. We have trappers tips and tricks, the drop trap, our trapper's best friend and colony caretaking tips and tricks. We have a whole series of free webinars we do with neighborhood cats. And so I think community cats podcast has like the trapping thing covered with neighborhood cats. Awesome. Do you cover like how to untrap a possum and a, rock, a raccoon? Yes. Okay. Because yes. I've had that. <laughs> Open the gate and run away. <laughs> how to untrap the ones that you didn't mean to trap. The beauty of the drop trap is that doesn't happen because you're right, right there and you're That's pulling true. the string on yeah, you see the cat that you want. Exactly. Right. So there are some trappers out there that are just exclusive drop trap users. And then there are other ones that use the box trap and then they go for the last you know, couple with the drop trap. Mario, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you do, um, how would they reach out to you? Uh, they can go to our website, squarepaws.com. They can find us on Instagram is square underscore pause. And we have a TikTok thing that I haven't quite gotten on top of yet. We're on Twitter as SQ pause. So yeah, they could just Google square pause. They'll find us. Excellent. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I'd say just have fun. You know, if, if someone's taking on outfitting and renovating, remodeling their shelter, you can be creative. I mean, I, I hope that people will look at the stuff that we've done at the cat cafes and the shelters like Ledoux and get a spark of idea of creativity and be like, oh, you know, we could do something like this or we can have this kind of theme or, you know, and just be creative about it. Don't don't feel inhibited. But they can certainly contact me if they've got questions. I'm happy to to give some pointers or or, you know, volunteer some some helpful information if I can. Excellent. Excellent. Mario, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Stacey. Appreciate it. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. I'd love that. Thank you. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Did you attend the online kitten conference in June? We hope you enjoyed the incredible content provided by our expert presenters and hope their guidance and encouragement will help you turn your passion for cats into action. Events like the Online Kitten Conference would not be possible without the support of our generous sponsors. CDE Animal Cages, Best Friends Animal Society, Zinzi Pie Save My Pet ID Tag, Humane Network, Feline Fix by Five, and Cat Savant. If your business or organization would like to support content that makes a difference for cats in communities worldwide, visit communitycatspodcast.com slash event dash sponsorship.